You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfish. Would you like another Coco Nono? And I'm Ari. And this is the way. And today we will be talking the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Bonding and Booby Trap. But uh, first, internet fandom sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, internet fandom has a way of ruining fandom. <laughs> yeah. Moses Ingram, who plays the villain Reva on um, on Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, she uh, opened up about the fact she's been getting just like a ton of of racist uh, DMs and everything just mm-hmm. because people don't like her character. One thing that I've noticed this time that hasn't really been done in the past, like, you know, we had people like Kelly Marie Tran get harassed. We had mm-hmm. uh, who else am I thinking of here? Well, Leslie Jones was run off Leslie social media Jones, after Ghostbusters. Yes. Yeah. When Brie Larson was cast as Captain Marvel and people were harassing her, basically right. only Don Cheadle and uh, Anthony Mackie came to her defense. And But uh, here, like, the official Star Wars Twitter account is talking about it. Yeah, I uh, saw that this morning, too. I saw on Facebook that they're like, we're not putting up with racism. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice, right? Like, it's nice that they're saying something this time because they just ignored Kelly Marie Tran, if I remember correctly. They they hung her out to dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then she only got 90 seconds of screen time in, in like the following movie when she was a main character in, in Last Jedi. Anyway, they yeah, no, they treated her like like absolute shit. But yeah. I'm glad to see that Lucasfilm is taking this seriously now. And even like Anson Mount got in on it. Yeah. Uh, good I old saw Captain that. He Pike. made a really good post about it. Yeah. And I don't know. I just want to find a button that will just eject all of these assholes from from the Internet forever. Just stop ruining things for everyone else. Stop hating people just because they have a different color of they skin. They aren't the thing that you that you want. Like, I still yeah. don't know why people were mad about Brie Larson, um, other than she was a woman, but Captain Marvel is a woman, you know? And so I was never sure what her problem was. The, 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 the main thing that everyone uses the excuse is that she had talked about a press junket for A Wrinkle in Time, in which it's a, a movie about a, a, a black girl. Right. And she said that basically all of the reviewers she saw were just like white dudes. And she's like, but this is this movie isn't really for That's you. Right. And she didn't want to eliminate the white men coming to the press junket. She just wanted to make sure there was space reserved for people yeah. of color coming on the press junket. And that just irritated some people out there, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And so it's yeah. Um, Anybody who speaks out about uh, racism or, you know, uh, just institutional barriers or anyone who happens to be a victim of racism or institutional barriers tends to be, you know, just these they're called the fandom menace and they tend to just hyper focus on these people and it Mm -hmm. sucks and I want them gone. Me too, because it ruins a perfectly great fandom. Like I've been so excited about Obi-Wan Kenobi and I've been so excited that it's been the number one Disney plus premiere. I think it's amazing. We all know this because of our last small talk, yeah. But I am I I think it's amazing and I think she's doing a fine job. And the thing I want to remind people of if they're criticizing the character is you're allowed to criticize a character but if you're doing it all the time only towards people of color, that's racism. <laughs> or and women, the- that's sexism. If you but the thing that that I always tell people is it's 
Star Wars. Look at what they did to Natalie Portman. Like, that woman is an Oscar winner now, I believe. Like, she's a really good actress and look at what they did to her like yeah lucas is a horrible director for actors like he makes them look stupid (laughs) ewan is the only person that was able to like survive the prequels as a decent actor even um liam neeson was succumbed to the to the star wars type of acting right so there's a certain level of melodrama and the only criticism the actual criticisms that i've seen are her character is too over the top really the 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 kid the, the the stories that brought you kylo ren and darth vader and whiny luke skywalker palpatine is the most hammy over the top character yeah. ever and everyone loves him she's like a little over the top and honestly like I don't know. It's just I, I'm not a huge fan of the writing of the Inquisitors in that show, but that's like a separate issue. If you yeah. have an issue with the way the show's written, the thing to do is not to get into the DMs of a black actress and, and give give her racist harassment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you got a problem with the character, then do why is it that you like every aspect of the show but that one part? Think about that. You know, yeah. like I remember when people were criticizing Black Panther CGI. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, there's some bla- bad CGI at the end of that movie, like the rhinos and oh, stuff. Yeah. It's like they ran out of budget, but it wasn't that much worse than most of the other MCU at that time. They were just hyper fixating on it because it was a black focused movie and they had to find something to criticize it over is how I felt about it, because people were coming out of the woodwork to criticize CGI that they didn't criticize in other movies. You know, and I was like, okay, I get your point that the CGI could be better, but it doesn't sound like you're actually criticizing the CGI. It sounds like you're criticizing something else because you didn't complain about this in Iron Man 1 that had some bad CGI, too. Whoa, 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 hold, on, hold on, hold on. Iron Man 1 <laughs> had amazing CGI. Let's not I was go trying there. to remember a movie that didn't. I, I, well, the, I mean, we can think of other ones like uh, I was trying to think of one because I, I tried to remember. Isn't there some bad CGI when he first puts on his Iron Man suit or am I no, wrong? Okay. No, pretty much everyone <laughs> agrees Iron Man 1 has like the best Okay, so I'm remembering the wrong one, <laughs> but but there's plenty of bad CGI in the MCU. Yeah, I think more in the later movies, once they moved to like the three a year format and they're just like churning through them and like the VFX artists don't have enough time to get it done. I think that's the issue. And Black Panther was kind of like at the cusp of that. Right, exactly. I mean, so, like, like the She-Hulk trailer. She-Hulk looks awful in that. She-Hulk looks terrible. And <laughs> I mean, by everybody complaining, they're going to do a Sonic to it and I fix hope. it. They claim that they are, but it just doesn't look good. Like, yeah. And it's so weird because we've had so many movies with Bruce Banner now. We know how to Hulk people. You know, but this is this is a tangent to say that, like, criticisms are fine, but you have to ask yourself when the criticisms are constantly of black people and women and women of color, like, where is that criticism actually coming from? Yeah. And why are they so terrible? And why do they want to ruin it for everyone? There's a um, there's a there's a meme that I often put up on, like, social media as my banner picture or whatever that says, uh oh, people on the internet are mad about Star Wars again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true because they find everything to complain about. And it's like, just you can criticize the movies. You know me, I have a bunch of problems with The Rise of Skywalker. Um, yep. And we both do, and we're both huge Star Wars fans. But I don't understand these people that don't like any of the movies, but that's my, <laughs> and then claim to be Star Wars fans. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't, I got criticisms, but they're not based on the, the actors or the color of their skin. I, it's based on 
some of the story choices and bringing back Palpatine and why does everyone in Star Wars need to be related? These are real criticisms. There's people who it feels like they stopped liking Star Wars after Empire, like that was the last movie that they liked. And like Empire came out in 1980. So like if the last good movie in this franchise was in 1980 for you and you haven't liked anything since, maybe get out of the Find fandom. Find a new fandom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not Star Trek, please. Stay out of our fandom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's toxic Star Trek fans. Hasn't there been some issue with um, the new Ahura? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, I, I just saw. I, I don't know how widespread it was, but I did see. I had a, an interaction with a rather toxic anti-fan on Twitter who uh, basically was harassing a bunch of uh, Star Trek cast and crew and fans on Twitter because um, Uhura got a uh, officially Starfleet branded do rag for one episode. Oh no! How dare! What in the heck is people's problem? Like, see, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. That's not an actual criticism. That's not a criticism of the show. I mean, I know from it is just racism. I know from watching these episodes we're about to talk about that people have all sorts of specially made like parts for their there was the clothes that Jordy's wearing in the second episode we're going to talk about when he's on his holodeck <laughs> date I was like I wonder who picked those <laughs> like because those were weird clothes like it's just there's replicators of course there would be a do-rag with you know the in the emblem on it if they wanted it to be that is just flat out racism not criticism of the show also, I saw a lot of black fans who were like, please make this merch. Oh, I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Yeah. So, yes, the point is stop being a jerk. Stop ruining fandoms. Please stop ruining it for the rest of us. We really love these things and they really bring us joy. So stop it. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, feel free to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash rest of both worlds. You can get our episodes up to five days early. You get a, a special segment on our discord where you can suggest uh, a new small talks for us on, at the start of each episode. In case you're tired of hearing about about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, if you feel so generous uh, and if you uh, subscribe at the higher tier, you'll get a shout out at the end of each episode. Nobody's done that yet. So you might be the first. Ooh, the first one. That would be cool. Yeah. So today we're talking about The Bonding, which is the fifth episode of the third season. It aired on the 23rd of October, 1989. It was written by Ronald D. Moore himself and directed by R- Winrich Colby. That guy's directed a lot that we've seen so far. This is Ronald D. Moore's first script in Star Trek. This is actually his basically introduction to TV writing. His fr- like, so this is the first time he wrote for TV. This is like the, the first script that he wrote that got picked up for something and that got him in a writer's room. Uh, and I kind of want to tell that story before we talk about the story of the episode. It's yeah. uh, he uh, when he had like just gotten into Hollywood and he was writing some spec scripts and passing them around. And he was dating somebody who uh, had worked on Star Trek at some point. And so she was able to arrange for him to get a set tour. Mm-hmm. And so when he was on the set tour, he brought this spec script he had written for the bonding and passed it to the guy who was leading the tour, who happened to be uh, Gene Roddenberry's personal assistant. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so the PA read it and was like, this is good. You should submit it. So he submitted it, went into the slush pile. And then when they started season three, Michael Pillar, the showrunner, is like, I don't have any scripts. So he went to the slush pile, found it and was like. This is good. We're going with it. <laughs> and uh, th- then Ronald D. Moore made Battlestar Galactica. 
So there you go. And, but well, and don't forget about how in between he was supposedly saved Roswell, but in my opinion, he made it way worse. <laughs> I never watched Roswell, but anyway. It was such a dumb teenage drama, and then he came in, it was supposed to make it better, and he just made it weirder. Ronald Moore <laughs> has made a massive mark on television the last 30 years, and here's how it started. That is kind of awesome, because I do love him, and for once, my prediction about the episode came true, and uh-huh. I think that's because it was written by Ronald D. Moore, and I just know his writing so well. <laughs> that's my theory, at least, is because I was like, I had a guess about something that would happen in the episode, and it was true, and and so I was like, hey, look at that. I finally got one. So the plot of this is that um, a, a crew member is killed on an away mission under Worf's command. And uh, uh, her son is now orphaned. And he's living on the ship, but his dad had died like five years ago. And now his mom's dead. And so it's, you know, dealing with uh, how he processes that grief uh, and how Worf processes the grief of losing uh, somebody under his command. We also get uh, a little uh, uh, Wesley action in there because Wesley is like, look, I, I remember being Jeremy. I was there for that. So I, I, I can I can definitely empathize. Not that he really wanted to empathize. He was kind of forced to do it. <laughs> but we could talk about that when we get there. <laughs> Things get complicated with Jeremy trying to process uh, accepting his mother's death when his mom shows up. <laughs> Energy beings from the planet below feel bad about his mom dying and are like, well, we can just recreate his mom and bring him down to the planet. Well, he'll he'll just live and be happy. And everyone's like, but it's not real. Right. And he needs to, like, come to grips and live in reality. Are you going to what are you going to do? Just create an entire society for him? Are you going to give him a wife? Are you going to give him an education, give him a career? You can't. You know, sorrow is part of the human condition and he needs to learn to get through it, not just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. And then at the end of the episode, Worf uh, has uh, Jeremy do the bonding ritual, which uh, brings him into uh, his house. And then we never see this kid again. (laughs) Then we never see the kid again. (laughs) I looked it up on IMTV. Welcome to the family, kid. Hey, oh, speaking of, if you looked up him up on IMDb, did you notice what his most uh, notable role is? Was it RoboCop? Well, he was in RoboCop 2, but the one that I noticed is he's the voice of Littlefoot. Oh, was he? I did not see that. No, I went straight for Star Trek. Obviously, there have been like 50 different voices of Littlefoot because they've made like 20 billion. Wait, is he the original one? He is the original Littlefoot. I know that voice well. <laughs> I watched that movie a million times when I was a kid. That that movie tricked me into thinking leaves would be tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I think it tricked every kid into thinking that leaves would be tasty. I remember being out on the playground being like, let's try these leaves. What are they called? Star- Tree stars. Tree stars. Yes, my there was a friend of mine and I were out on the playground one day and we were like, let's eat these tree stars. Because you know how you could pick up the big maple leaves and turn yeah, them yeah, into yeah. like little bowls do you know that where you take all the corners of the maple leaf and then you use the stem and you make a little bowl so we did that and then we filled that with tree stars quote unquote (laughs) and then we ate them and it was terrible (laughs) but we ate like four each anyway that's my story about that (laughs) so i didn't hate this episode um i actually thought there was a lot of emotional depth to this episode it did feel like someone came into the writer's room that was like, hey, it's been three seasons and we've just ignored Wesley and his grief with his dad. We've never even really broached the subject like we did maybe early season one. 
but mm-hmm. we haven't talked about it since. So why don't we have another kid lose his parent so that Wesley can we can let Wesley maybe have some catharsis about his grief? That's how it came off as, to me. So there is a weird thing about this episode that having read the behind the scenes and uh, RDM's original draft for it makes a lot more sense. Um mm-hmm. Is that originally it wasn't supposed to be an alien that was posing as Jeremy's mother, but Jeremy was going to be holed up in the holodeck with the holographic recreation of his mother in his home uh, to oh. to try and avoid processing the grief. And Gene Roddenberry nixed that because in his view, in the 24th century, kids would be more accepting of death. And uh, that's stupid. It's Gene, stupid. Kids are kids like obviously we can teach them better once they grow up to be adults but jeremy's 12 like kids are gonna deal with grief the way kids have always dealt with grief and he's gonna be a human being and go through the stages and all that stuff yeah it's dumb that's stupid yeah so (laughs) i I, and uh, and ultimately the only thing that does is make it a little more convoluted and take that choice of take it out of jeremy's hands the choice of retreating into this fantasy world instead it's the fantasy world that's trying to engulf him right which is not quite as meaningful no i i I think it would have been a better script if they had stuck with him just retreating to the holodeck that i like I, i would like to see that story better but, you know, it's Gene. Gene was like, no, 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 no. In the future, we're all super enlightened to the point that kids are OK with uh, learning calculus on the same day they learned their mom died. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> um, that's why Wesley processed all that grief so well and didn't blame Picard for any of it. That's right. <laughs> um, I liked the he says, I'm all alone now, sir. And then Picard says on the Starship Enterprise, no one is no alone. No one is alone. And yeah, I was so, I loved that. I loved that line. I loved that it was such a change from I'm addicted to kids, Picard, from season one. Like, I don't think this episode would have worked in season one before mm-hmm. he learned to be nice to children and that they have some value. Um, because you really needed Picard to be a part of this episode for Wesley to process what happened to his dad, right? Right. There's a great moment in 10 Forward where Data goes up to Riker and asks him if he knew Marla Astor well. And he's like, we spent some time together, but I didn't really know her. And then he asks Data the same thing. And Data's like, well, why do you ask? And he's like, well, you asked me. He's like, right, but why do we ask the question? Why is familiarity Mm -hmm. important to grieving? Uh, And then, and Riker points out, well, I mean, uh, do you feel the same about Marla's death that you do about Natasha's? And he's like, no, there's a, 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 emptiness i felt with tasha that i i don't feel here and he's like well it's just it's human nature but data points out i mean it feels like it would be more rational if we felt any loss the same regardless of how close we were to that person right and riker's like yeah uh, human history would probably be a lot less bloody if we if we, if felt we did like that. yeah <laughs> um now the one thing about that scene that i found amusing is that data says did you know her and mm-hmm. he says we spent some time together and it was definitely a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. They I, slept together. <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> because then well, he says, did you know her? And he kind of like drops his like. And then he goes, no, I didn't know her very well. And so that's yeah. what made me think that they had like a one night stand or something. But I, I, that could happen. I mean, she has been widowed for five years. So. And it's Riker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Speaking of, since his dad 
died like five years ago. Like there's like a scene where he's like watching an old home movie that's but he's being the same age he is now. Dad, but he's the same age. And I'm just like that is a very mature looking seven year old in that video. I know. I was annoyed by that too. Also, his kitty was so cute. You know, little it was. Patches kitty. I know Patches was adorable. One of my favorite characters. <laughs> I did like that. I did like that Worf wanted to take the responsibility, you know, the man mm-hmm. <laughs> as a, as a Mandalorian foundling, he wanted to take Jeremy Astor and make him, you know, part of his family because he felt responsible. And I thought that was really sweet. I don't know if a human boy that just lost both of his parents living in Klingon society and rules and stuff is really healthy for him but (laughs) i thought it was sweet (laughs) i would have liked it if they had followed up on this more they they don't and uh ronald moore has been asked about this throughout the years and he's like well look back at that point on tv we weren't even considering long-running storylines like that uh so it just it never was brought up but um i I think ronald moore has also said that that there's also some other storylines with uh wharf that kind of would have superseded that anyway um oh, and okay. that um he wasn't uh, Ronald Moore himself he said he wasn't the biggest fan of the kid who played Jeremy Astor so I didn't really like him he had a weird face I don't know how to say that nicely <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really like the way he talked either there was something I, it just had that like I'm a child actor like tone to it I don't know I didn't like him very much either um but another really good wharf moment was the Deanna and him conversation Mm-hmm. Where he's like, I need to stand on my own. I need to be like Captain Picard. And she and she's getting so frustrated. And she's like, Captain Picard talks to me. Yes. And he was uh, like, oh, <laughs> there is great writing for Deanna. This is like one of the few times where her being a counselor is written well. And it's a well suited situation for her to be a counselor because there's a death on the ship. And she's exactly. There for this counseling. is exactly where she should be. And Ronald DeMar is one of the first writers that I've seen that actually knows what to do with her. Yep. You know, and I was happy about that, too. I mean, of course, I'm kind of a fangirl because of Battlestar Galactica. But I mean, I when I saw his name, I got excited, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be getting a lot more from him because of this. The, uh, they have him join this, the the uh, writer's room because of because of this script. So good. I'm excited to see it because it was re- really good development. Except for the part where we never see the kid again. <laughs> yeah. He becomes known as the Klingon guy. Like, all of the best Klingon episodes of TNG are basically, they're basically all written by him. Interesting, so, okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he is strongly responsible for a lot of the, the development of Klingon culture. That's cool, because I want to know more about it. Because my instinct, my instinct is like... I don't like it. I don't like this. You should die in battle and honor and all these things. It's a very toxically masculine culture. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of that in there. And obviously, uh, cultures of honor are stupid. But yeah, like we had that one episode about your honor means nothing or whatever way back in season one. Yeah, Uh, like cultures of honor. I think an honor code is stupid, but it exists and it's interesting to uh, develop a culture like that and see how it how it interacts and uh yeah um the klingons are not a perfect culture there's a lot bad with them but that's okay because that makes for interesting storytelling so here's my one problem with the episode okay. wesley did not want to be that kid's counselor like they he did not want to be in peer mentoring with that kid he didn't want to be in group therapy with that kid wesley they i felt like they used him mm-hmm 
uncomfortably, <laughs> especially in that last scene where they make him come in and confront Picard about his anger, you know, about. And I was like, because it's not even now. It's not even now anger. Why are they making? And then why is he why is he having to yeah, do like this in front of Picard, ago. his mom, the kid? Wharf, like he's having to have Deanna, like he's having to like have this moment that should probably just be like Deanna Picard and Wesley. But since they wanted to force it out into the open through Jeremy and there was two different scenes with it, too, because there was one with Bev where he was basically like, please don't make me go talk to him. And then in the end, they bring him anyway, you know, and I was like annoyed by that. And then Deanna, this is one part where I thought she wasn't written very well. She kept pushing, pushing Wesley which would make sense in a private therapy kind of situation because therapists aren't there just to make you feel better. They're there right. to push you to figure stuff out, but not in front yeah. of your peers, you know, not yeah. in front of your mom, not in front of, you know, I don't know. That part bothered me. Like it made me go, why is he having, why is he having to put his trauma and his grief into like theater display for everyone to see? Because you guys want to work out this kid's death is mom dying, you know? I don't know. It bothered me because it makes for good television. It did. It made for good television. But at the same time, I felt really bad for Wesley because I was like, oh, I feel so bad for you. You know, the kid, I think, would definitely would take the the blue pill that keeps him in the Matrix because he was like, nah, this is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did he ever actually I'm trying to remember, did he ultimately reject the image or did they just like get away from the planet and so that so it vanished? I think it just vanished. I don't think it I don't think he ever said, "Okay," you know, but then when they were trying to help him through it, that's when they brought Wesley down. Um, So I I don't know. I think he was going to be more than content to go down to the planet for the rest of his life. At least at this age. He's 12. He shouldn't be making that kind of decision like that. I kind of agreed, though. I was like, I can see being happy with Matrix Mommy down on the planet where they're going to take care of me. (laughs) You know? Yeah, no, I I have thought in the past that if you put me in a holodeck with a replicator and lock the door, I will probably just stay in there. Yeah, there's so much to do in a holodeck. Uh (laughs) Um... So I I loved the line, I will be every bit his mother, because that reminded me of what I say when I get a new pet. I'm like, I will be this puppy's (laughs) mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, all overall, I loved this episode. I just had that one little problem. I don't want to give the wrong impression that with that stuff at the end that it bothered me. It was just to me, it was weird that they were making Wesley trot out his trauma and even as much as I'm making fun of the fact we never see Jeremy Astor again, even though he was, you know, bonded into Worf's family, I thought that was just so sweet, you know, as the mother of a couple foster kids and such. I was like, yes, family is who you choose. Although apparently Klingons are Mormon because family is from now until all t- end of all time. <laughs> that, that was, I've been watching Under the Banner of Heaven about Mormons, so I've got all this Mormon oh. stuff in my head. <laughs> And I saw that and I was like, oh, they're Mormons. <laughs> so there is um, a prop in this episode that I think is the first time we have seen it in Star Trek. And it was the little uh, uh, Klingon dagger that Worf had that's got mm-hmm. the, the two side blades. It's called a Dick Tog. And um, I love that thing. And this yeah. is the first time we see it. It's, you know, the one that's got like it's um, hollow in the middle um, and sometimes those side blades are like hinged 
on springs. So like oh, you hit a button and they pop out because they just fold into the, the, the main blade otherwise. And I've always thought I'm like, now if they're bladed on the back end, that could be a very uh, devastating weapon. You stab them with them folded in and then you hit the button and they pop out and then you like Oof. twist and pull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be terrible yeah <laughs> but uh we got to see it here first um i'm trying to think i don't know when we're getting the bat left probably not this season but probably is next that season. the big weapon yeah that's the big blade like it's a big like just a huge blade right that's held with two hands okay mm-hmm. yeah I, I have seen that before i love klingon weapons they all look so cool yeah I, I mean, there's a lot to like about the Klingon, like, design in general. Like, I was looking at Jeremy Astor when they were giving him his little uh, sash, and I was like, oh, he's getting yeah, a second trick. season sh- sash instead of a first season sash. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I like their design. I like their costumes. Their, and I, I, I mean, I don't like their sexism and stuff, but that's part of the characters, right? It's part of the culture. It's part of the. It's part of having different dynamics and stuff. So I don't hate it that much, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Booby Trap is the sixth episode of the third season. It first aired on the 30th of October, 1989. The teleplay was by Ron Roman, Michael Piller, and Richard Danis. The story was by Michael Wagner and Ron Roman, and it was directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. Jordy's an incel. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So I kind of am like middling on Jordy, and this episode knocked him way down for me. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, it's like the first time that we really get a sense of how bad Jordy is at dating. And um, it, it, it goes in some creepy places for him. It does. It goes into some weird, creepy places. Yeah. So the Enterprise is uh, like investigating the site of an ancient battle and they find a thousand year old ship. That they go on to and Picard geeks over. It was the best part. I loved it. He was so geeky. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that Patrick Stewart had specifically asked. He's like, can I please get off the bridge? Can I please go like shoot on another set or something? I just want something to do. And they write it in that he's like, you know, I was like, oh, let's okay, let's have the captain beg his first officer to let him go on the ship. Yeah, I know. He's like, what? You want to go? And he's like, I am going. (laughs) (laughs) And um. You know, he gets to geek out on the ship and read like old logs of, from the the uh, mummified captain on on the bridge and everything. And tease everybody that, that he's the only one that made ships in a bottle, <laughs> except for O'Brien. That was okay. That scene is great because yeah, like, he keeps referencing ships in a bottle, and Riker doesn't know what that is. And then uh, Worf and Data had great responses. Picard said, "Didn't." you ever play with ships and bottles as as a boy? And Worf said, I did not play with toys. And Data said, I was never a boy. (laughs) And there is a wonderful blooper reel of this scene in which Michael Dorn flubbed his line and said, I did not play with boys. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I liked O'Brien. I couldn't tell if he was sucking up or not. I was like... Pretty sure he was, I, I think it was a little column A, a little column B. I'm pretty sure he did, but the fact that he did, he was just like, ooh, ooh, like, I'll, I'll suck right. up to the, to, to the captain. Riker, Nobody else played with the, him. After they beam away, Riker looks at him like, you little suck up. Yeah, He's I like, know. no, I really did. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, my brain was like, oh, Riker's like, we give you some lines and you use them to suck up to Picard and not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> 
so he beams over and he's all geeking out about this old ship. The Lang drives is something that he was very excited about. And they kind of just like look around and they're like, cool, let's go home. And then it turns out that uh, there is like kind of like a Chinese finger trap style energy booby trap thing the the harder they push against it trying to get out the more energy they drain and so they're kind of you know in a race against time because there's also like a radiation leak that their deflector arrays keeping at bay but once they lose enough power they won't be able to shield themselves against that which Jordy's trying to fix by putting himself in a holodeck program and flirting while they're near death yeah so well let's let's rewind to the start of the episode <laughs> because it opens with Jordy on a date on the holodeck with I don't even know how he convinced her to go there in the first place Christy she's, with an eye she is not into him she is so bored she's I, I'm sure it was just he probably had been pestering her for long enough she just like gave in and was like okay we'll, we'll do this once and he's being awkward he's like he snapped like mariachi music no it wasn't mariachi it was like fiddle music oh it's it's <laughs> into it's, existence it's worse because at the end of the episode he references that violinist but he called it a gypsy violinist oh. and i'm just like don't use that word yeah i did not catch that i think i was busy just ranting in my notes <laughs> about this episode um but yeah so he is on the ho- so he's on this date and at first i was like oh is he on a holla date like is that a yep. real person or is that a hologram and then it turned right, out right. to be a real person she had no interest um he wasn't taking any of the hints so he had to pull the she just she had to pull the i just don't feel that way about you um and the, which is a legitimate thing just gonna yep. say that you know if i don't if i'm not attracted to someone i don't have any obligation to date them you know yeah, like, like- <laughs> Jordy, if if you have to try that hard with somebody, it's like, uh... which is what Guinan tries to tell him later in ten yeah, he forward. Goes, he goes to ten forward, and there's a great moment because uh, Wesley and Data are playing chess, and Wesley sees uh, Jordy come in and goes, "Uh oh!" And then Data's yeah. like, "What's wrong?" It's like Jordy was planning that date for weeks, and he's coming in here alone. And then Data looks, and then Data goes, "Uh oh!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cute. Um, Guinan comes in and is talking to Jordy and like she points out to Jordy that Jordy's doing fine talking to her and he's like yeah well that's I'm not trying to date you and she's like yeah that's the point you're you're not right. being yourself when you're trying to date other people you're trying too hard it's desperate and it's, you know what if it's not meant to be it's not meant to be just don't force these things right that's great advice like be yourself and then mm-hmm. he goes and flirts with the hologram while they're all near death for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yes. And so let's talk about that. So he he um, is looking up the logs of one of the uh, the engineers who built the Enterprise, Dr. Leah Brahms. And he and was she dead or just not on the ship? I couldn't. She was tell. not on the ship. She, she's an engineer. So she works out, uh, at um, at like U- Utopia Planitia Yards. She's okay. So, so she, yeah, yeah I, okay, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So she's not there, but her logs are uh, as part of the design process of the Enterprise are on the ship. And so he's able to take those logs and some like uh, recordings of her speaking at events and has the computer uh, create a personality for her so that he has somebody that he can bounce ideas off of and they're able to figure out how to you know uh um lower power and everything and it and the the it, the uh finale of the episode is 
they like shut down basically all power except for the thrusters and then picard flies them out picard's like oh let me do it we're you know, even though i'm like i are you the Get best up. pilot on Get the up, ship wesley. for that yeah <laughs> no. i didn't know if wesley was the best pilot but i didn't know if picard was either i was like come on there's got to be someone that flies the ship every day that's really good at it i think Riker's the best pilot on the ship um but I think it was just probably has to do with Patrick Stewart asked to do more things on the show than sit on the bridge in the captain's chair. So they had him go on the away mission. Then they had him pilot the thing out. Um, But yeah, so uh, Jordy is uh, flirting with the uh, holographic lady who's based on a real person. And they end up kissing at the end. Well, and, and at first she's like just a hologram that doesn't have a lot of personality. And then he's like, He's trying to get into her personal files at one point. And yeah. they're like, the computer's like, no. And I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, you what can't the just... hell? Like, <laughs> and so then he did, did he, did the computer create that personality? Is that where it came from? Or did, did he somehow get them to open her actual personality? The computer used her Starfleet uh, personality profile, like our okay. psychological profile and, uh, and combined that with some like, uh, events that she had spoken at to build, like, you know, a, a perfect. Uh, okay, that's what I thought. And the computer even said, it was like, there's like going to be like a 10% discrepancy between what she looks like and, or, or like how she behaves here and how she is in real life. And Jordy's like, that's fine. I just, I need somebody who's like a real person to talk to. And it was um, so unfortunate that I was spending the whole time being annoyed at the way he was acting because she was a great character. Like, uh-huh. once she had her personality in her, I was like, oh, she's real cool. I like her. But I was busy being annoyed at Jordy. <laughs> So, um, what do you think the ethics are in creating a holographic representation of a real person and falling in love with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was gross and weird. (laughs) Um, That's one of the reasons I was asking if she was dead or alive, because I thought she was alive and I just wanted to know. Like, even a dead person, it's kind of a violation. Like, because if they didn't give consent for you to bring them into the holodeck, that's their personality. That's who they are. That's their id or whatever. Right. Uh So you're against their will, bringing them into a holodeck situation and then flirting with them when you're near death and taking power away from the mission so that you can keep running your holodeck, but not admitting to people. In Jordy's defense. It was a useful strategy for him to troubleshoot, and they do come up with the solution. So, like, it's true. I think it's justifiable. I can understand. It's like, no, I need to run the holodeck because I'm running simulations in there. And she's. But I did wonder in the back this. of my. Yeah, I wondered yeah. in the back of my head if she was taking more power or not. And then when Picard comes down, he's like, what the hell is going on in here? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and he's like, oh, well, we're, I mean, me. Because he totally bought into this idea of the simulation. And I was like, it's sad. Like, it was sad. I was like, go be a real person to real people. Don't this. He didn't even take Guinan's advice. He came in and wrapped himself up in a fantasy. And I don't know. I'm going to do some slight spoilers here. Uh, Leah Brahms is alive. Not only is she alive, uh, we will meet her. I wondered if she would come as the real person at some point. Yep. She's going to come as a real person next season. Uh, She's not the same person as the holographic recreation. Okay. Uh, Different actress. No. I mean, same actor. Just oh, a different okay. personality. 
Oh, completely. So more than 10% margin of error. <laughs> uh, 10% is a lot. Personalities are pretty complex. That's true. That's true. I'm just saying th- there's a reason I asked you about the ethical considerations of creating Ooh, a holographic be, oh, recreation of a me. real person. It's and next then falling- season? Yeah, it's next yeah, season. <laughs> I want to know now. Because, yeah, don't tell me because I want to see it for myself. But because I had that thought, I was like, if she's a real person and she's alive... She could show up later, but it's not like Star Trek to continually follow threads, usually, you know, so because like you said, they weren't used to, you know, doing long form television yet. Yeah. But yes, I was I was concerned about a lot of the plot points for the 80s. They were pretty typical, though. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is 89. It's like it's like, oh, no woman will date me. Why can't I? I think when he was talking to Guinan, he was like. Why can't I get a girl like Christy to pay attention to me? And I was like, well, maybe that's the problem. What do you mean girl like Christy? How about any woman, like any woman that you're attracted to? Like, I don't know. There was a lot of weird, you know, kind of mildly sexist writing like the oh, I just don't, you know, like you that way is supposed to be like, oh, well, she should try harder or whatever is how I've always taken that line. (laughs) There's also like. Uh, guys like Jordy, they put a lot of pressure on the women that they're pursuing. Mm-hmm. Like he planned that date for weeks. He could have just done something normal with her because yeah. like Wesley was like, oh, we planned that for weeks and it was terrible. And it, and I know I brought this up once before, but it's like date Mike from the office where all of a sudden he realizes he's on a date and he goes out to the car and he puts on his Kangle hat and he acts like an <laughs> asshole because he's in he's in date mode. That's what it reminded me of. Like. Just be yourself. Like, I don't want to date a fake person. Like, I want to date a person who's really themselves, not somebody who acts one way on a date and another way when they're solving the problems on the Enterprise. You know, yeah, and- I want I, I want to date the person when they're solving the problems on the Enterprise. And and don't don't like do a date where it's like high pressure, like I, that kind of like a, a, a beachside romantic thing. That feels like something you do after you are already in a romantic relationship with somebody. Yeah. When you're starting, why don't you just be like, hey, I think you're pretty cool. Would you like to hang out sometime? Just, I guarantee you that line works more than any of your other pickup lines. Yep. <laughs> uh, my husband and I's first date was Starbucks at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday, and then we went to the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of my favorite new headcanons is that Guinan's in love with Picard. She did mention that she likes bald men and that it's because a bald man once uh, rescued her and t- took care of her. So and that uh, one made me wonder if that was Picard because they've known each other for a long, long time or something she said in a previous episode. So new well, headcanon. She also said in a previous episode that she, uh, Picard and her only met when she came on the ship. So oh, did I don't she? know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. We'll find uh, out. Or oh, maybe and not. Then, or maybe not. Um <laughs> I loved the when he get when he's all done geeking out and he comes back to the bridge, he's like, that was absolutely thrilling. And mm-hmm. and Deanna and Riker look at each other and they smile the dorkiest, cutest smile. And they're <laughs> like, Oh, he's such a dork, but he's so cute between them, you know? <laughs> I, 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 co- I totally understand. Well, for for starters, Picard has uh I think like he studied archaeology uh, at Starfleet Academy, so it's an interest of his. He was on a thousand-year-old mummified ship. Like, the captain was literally a mummy sitting in the captain's yeah. chair on the ship. So, like, that uh, that makes sense to me, that he was like, oh, this is my interest. Oh, this is great. I'm just digging up just an old ship with reading old logs of a fellow captain. And yeah. I know. It was so cute. It was it was a good Picard episode, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. 
wait till I make you my Fujiwi. Oh yeah, that's right. Because he he asks Brahms, uh, "Is like, uh, do you like Italian food?" She's like, "Like," and then she gives wait that till line. I make my fujui. Yeah, I know. I was like, "Oh no, this is getting so bad." Yeah, um, I, my notes say, "Jordy, no, don't create a holographic girlfriend." I know, and then I've got like notes about uh, it says Leah, not a girl, because of <laughs> Janet. Because I was like, he kept he was like another girl on the holodeck that won't even talk to me. She like, even kind of has a Janet aesthetic to her outfit. She does. I know. I know. So in my mind, the whole time I was like, not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that maybe in the future, Jordy will get back in my good graces. I mean, I don't know. This episode was weirdly written and I don't necessarily blame it on the character. It's a 30 year old show. I mean, it's 30 years old now. Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so this episode came out in 89. So. More than 30 years. 33. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I like I want to like Jordy because I had no reason to dislike him before. But the show hadn't given me a tons of reasons to like him. Um, and so I don't know. This just kind of knocked it down. So I'm hoping in the future he'll in my mind, you know, I'll like him again because I didn't have anything against him. But I don't really hold bad writing against characters as long as they don't perpetually use bad writing against characters. I like Jordy. He's just kind of dumb when it comes to relationships with women that's, yeah that's just a character flaw of his and i think if jordy existed today they would write in a tasha type character that would be like dude i mean guinan <laughs> tried but uh-huh. guinan's too guinan for him i think uh-huh. i think he needs someone that's like dude you know <laughs> why doesn't he hollow up tasha <laughs> she would do it <laughs> I think that might be a little creepy f- even for him yeah, to just create a holographic rep- recreation of uh, a dead crew member. I don't think Are he'd you- do that. So because they hollowed her up for her funeral, but that would have been something she pre-recorded, right? In the Windows XP background. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. that was a holographic recording of her. But like recreating her to hang out with a dead crew member. First off, that's not I don't think I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I was. Yeah, Um, it's kind of like how in the sequels I kept yelling, why isn't Anakin showing up as a force ghost and slapping Kylo? (laughs) Like I don't (laughs) understand. It's just like one of those things. If Tasha was a force ghost, I think she'd show up and be like, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have a problem with how often the the enterprise gets their energy quote unquote zapped or taken away from them it's a reoccurring problem of the enterprises like we've seen it a few times now Mm -hmm. and it's just me complaining it's kind of like how in doctor who one of the things that always bothers me is how the TARDIS is impenetrable, but anybody could pick it up and move it to wherever they want to (laughs) and and it's kind of like that where it's like Maybe you guys should figure out something for the Enterprise where the energy is, like, more protected or something. I don't know, because we've seen this plot a few times, but it's whatever. One thing that bugged me about this episode was how over-reliant it was on Technobabble. Yeah, there was Um, a lot of it. There's, you know, there's good and bad uses of Technobabble. And, like, when you're using Technobabble just kind of, like, to uh, build, like, a rapport between two characters, I think that works. But, like, we kind of already had the rapport between Leah and Jordy, and so we got more than we needed. One of the the perfect examples I use of good Technobabble is in Star Wars The Force Awakens, when 
um, Ray and Han are in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and something like it's like they're trying to get it started, but something doesn't happen, and then like she goes and and uh, like pulls a thing out of the uh, I the, thing. the compressor. I bypass the compressor, <laughs> and like the entire time they have been speaking techno babble to each other, and none of it makes any sense. But that's not the point. The point is Han seeing a very smart person in his bridge who they have a good rapport with and it builds their relationship in kind of like a father-daughter way. Um, so that's the and point it of makes the scene. For, it makes it more relatable to us, too, because yeah. it's technobabble, technobabble, technobabble. I bypass the compressor. Oh, thanks for the English. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we kind of were missing that in this episode. And it was, t- and, and yes, he and Leah already had the rapport. And I understand that they were trying to build the rapport, but I it, I think they spent, I think if they had just spent a little less time on the B-plot of Jordy and Leah, that mm-hmm. we pro- it wouldn't have been as, like, hard to take, you know, because if, we, if it had been more balanced between the two, I felt like it was far, it was far heavier on the stuff between him and Leah, but that maybe that's just me. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.